Good morning, my name's Tom. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at Indelible Grace Church, along with Pastor Wade and Pastor Jesse. I welcome you. If you're visiting, yeah, it's usually like this. Um, we're happy you're here, and uh, come talk to me afterwards if you are visiting. I'd love to meet you. So, um, we are finishing uh, preaching through First Thessalonians, and uh, we're going to be looking at the last blessing portion of uh that book today, Paul's letter. And so I'm going to have you stand again. Is that okay? For the reading of God's word, if you're able to. And we're looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting at verse 23. This is God's most holy word. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Would you pray with me? Father, in these few moments that we gather around your word, Lord, may it be an act of worship. And may the gospel be more clear to us And, Lord, that you would, by it and your spirit, transform us uh, to be more like Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen. Uh, I'm going to have you stay standing because, first of all, um, the end of this verse says that we need to be reading this letter. And we we have done that over the course of these months, reading through 1 Thessalonians. But it also says that we should be greeting one another, not necessarily with a holy kiss. I'm not going to say that. We're still still COVID, post-COVID. But... Um, I would like for you to turn to someone else and just say the peace of Christ be with you. That is definitely brought out here in this text. You can turn to someone and bless them now, and we will be doing God's word, actually doing it. So you can turn to somebody and do that right now. Peace of Christ. What's happening? Is it me? Is it me? Great job. Thank y'all. So, we know that passing the peace of Christ is something the church has been doing for centuries, um, and since, since Christ himself, because when Christ showed up uh, in John 20 to the disciples after his resurrection, and they were surprised because they were in a locked room, you know, that whole text. I mean, they were really freaked out by that. The first thing Jesus says is, you know, peace be with you, <laughs> because they were terrified, you know. And so passing the peace of Christ is an important thing for us to continue to do, to bless one another. Remind. I mean, I don't know how you guys are, but I, I tend to just sort of freak out in general. Um, that's like my first response is this kind of freak out. And um, you're like, wow, you're a seasoned pastor. Yeah. Yeah, it happens. It happens that seasoned pastors are still freaking out over, you know, things. Um, so I'm grateful when a brother or sister says, hey, peace of Christ. It's going to be okay. 
Jesus is, is a, he's with you, right? That's a blessing to me when I am not seeing things clearly and I have the peace of Christ passed to me that way. It's a blessing. So we need to keep that up. So we're here at the end of 1 Thessalonians, and this is Paul's way of ending his letters, right? He usually ends with a blessing. I wanted to, because this is the last sermon in 1 Thessalonians for a while, until you guys preach through all the other books of Scripture at Indelible Grace Church and maybe come back to it, um, I hopefully will be with the Lord um, when that day comes. <laughs> but for now, this is the, the end, and I want to just highlight a couple takeaways from 1 Thessalonians just as a way to summarize a little bit of it. Now, these, these are my takeaways so, you know, that's one of the beauties of getting to preach often um, is that I get the mic and I get to say what my takeaways are. But as you've read through First Thessalonians yourself and as we've done that together, maybe you have other things. But one of the takeaways of First Thessalonians is this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is going to come back. He is going to return, as he said he would. And that is the underlying main message that Paul gives to the Thessalonian church In this letter, Jesus is coming back. And we all need to be ready for that. The church then needs to be ready for it. We as the church now, we need to be ready for his return. And so that is, you'll you'll see it even in the part we read today for our text, right? It says uh, that you're going to be sanctified completely, whole spirit, soul, and body, and kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, that is Paul's main message. So if you have not thought about the return of Christ in a while, and like, yeah, you know, maybe probably won't be in my lifetime. We don't know when it is, so I can, maybe you need to think about it more. Maybe, maybe think about how, how are you readying yourself for his return? Um, or there were those at the time of Paul's writing that were so believing that he was coming back, like it was so imminent, they quit their jobs, they were sort of lounging around, just sort of, you know, waiting. Um, and that also might not be the way to ready yourself, right? So somehow by the gospel and through the church to be readying ourselves for Christ's return, be ready. And also, this is another takeaway. Paul is really intent on having the church be an encouragement to one another, that we would be an encouragement to, to each other, reminding each other of the gospel, reminding one another that Christ is coming, reminding each other to give greetings and to pass the peace of the Lord. So if, if you come to church regularly and you're not encouraged in your walk with God, in your life, Find someone and say, I need encouragement. Encourage me. They should turn to First Thessalonians and begin reminding you of God's great love in Christ. As we are reminded in verse 9 of chapter 5, For God has not destined us for wrath, no, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Like That should be so encouraging to us. And that he's coming back should be very encouraging to us. So my my hope is that as we continue as believers, as a church, that we would be encouraged to be the church and to be in the church and among ourselves as God's people. It shouldn't be, I walk away discouraged or I walk, I walk away, um, maybe numb that the Lord would encourage us, I guess is a prayer and a takeaway from first Thessalonians. Those are my takeaways. Sure. You have others. I would love to hear your takeaways. 
catch me afterwards. I'd love to hear them. So here we are at Paul's closing blessing, as I already mentioned, and we've already actively done what the letter encourages us to do, passing the peace of Christ to one another. We're reading this letter aloud, reminded of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ with us. So blessings in scripture, just kind of thinking about that, and maybe I'll have you think about that in your own understanding of scripture. If you survey the blessings in scripture, if you survey this idea of blessing in scripture, I'm getting out my notes that I put on my phone that I didn't feel like writing out. I was too lazy to do that, so I copied them onto my notes here. But um, blessings in scripture, if you do a survey and if you even do a Google search for scripture, a lot of Paul's blessings come up because he was so quick at the end of his letters to give a blessing to the church. In fact, even in 1 Thessalonians, he does it before in chapter 3. He also gives sort of a blessing at the end of that chapter. And so he does too. He gives a, uh, a double blessing in 1 Thessalonians. But Paul is the main one that is always providing these blessings for the church. However, if you think back to like um, the book of Numbers, um, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. It's one that we often will say at the closing of our services here. I I think looking back at the Old Testament, God's people seem to be constantly chasing the blessing of God for their lives. They They wanted his blessing. Now, obviously, they were not chasing his blessings in the way they should at most of the time because they had idols. They were worshiping other gods. They were... Uh, they were disobeying God often, and that is not how you get God's blessing. But they were constantly chasing after his blessing. They wanted the prophets to bless them. They wanted God to give blessing to their crops. To That's why Psalm 67 is such a beautiful reminder of God's blessing, that he blesses us to be a blessing to the nations. And that's the reason why he would bless his people in the Old Testament, that they would be a light and um, shining to the nations. So... As we look at Paul's uh, blessing here in 1 Thessalonians, we as believers today, we're not chasing after God's blessing. We, we're, we don't have to do that. You don't have to uh, beg God to bless you. you don't ha- we have Christ who died for us, who gave his life for us. And the people of God in the Old Testament were looking to Christ to come, the Savior that would bring great blessing to them. We, as God's people, we have his word. We have his spirit. We don't have to chase after him. Please, please bless me. Here, I'm going to do these things. You're going to bless me. No, we we have his blessing. We have the right, right? The Heidelberg Catechism today, question 59, not as punchful as question 60 you'll see next week. But I am righteous now in Christ. Blessed. Hashtag blessed. I can remember um, my daughter being at William Jessup University, which is a Christian university up in Rockland, a small school. And, and you know, my daughter's a pastor's kid, right? And so she shows up at this Christian university, and she was so annoyed by her roommates, which a lot of times they were saying, you know, so blessed. They, they in her mind, they started the hashtag blessed movement. And she, as a pastor's kid, was like, no. But I say, you know, hashtag bless. Bring on the blessing. And we are already blessed greatly in Christ. So, uh, so just 
just a quick overview of blessings. You can think about, there's so much to think about in Scripture when it comes to the blessings in Scripture. I also wanted to address the kiss. It's an Eastern form of greeting. You know, it's our knuckle bump today, you know, after everything that's happened. Um, but it's a very Eastern tradition to be greeting people with a kiss. And so that's that's what that is. I just wanted to clear that up for anyone that was wondering about that. So here we go. Looking at this text, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, your whole spirit, soul, and body kept blameless. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. What comes up here in this final verses for Paul in this blessing is that he's asking God to bless them with sanctification, to sanctify them, to make them holy in Christ for Christ's appearing. Like, Tom, you just said we're already blessed with his righteousness. Yeah, it's true. We are justified as righteous before God because of the gospel of what Christ has done for us. But sanctification is is the other side of that. We're justified in Christ, made right before God. And yet we have to live through this life. We have to walk our time here before Christ returns, before we go to be with him. And that time is a time of sanctification. So what is sanctification? I want to spend the rest of our time talking about sanctification, if that's all right. And so the first thing I wanted to do was, um, what is it? What does it mean? We're, we're sanctified or being sanctified or being made holy. Well, our Westminster Confession of Faith, which is the confession that we adhere to here in the Presbyterian Church in America, here at Indelible Grace, chapter 13 is called Of, Sanctifi- of Sanctification. I really appreciate the Westminster Confession. They don't make lofty titles. They're just really clear. This next chapter, it's on sanctification. That's what they named it, of sanctification. So I'm, I'm really grateful. That's chapter 13. You could actually Google this and read right along with me if you want. But the confession really lays out clearly what sanctification is. And it's pretty long. I'm going to read through some of it. I may stop here and there. It's kind of long. And if you want to take a little uh, nap, uh, this is probably your moment, but I I would encourage you to stay with it. So, of sanctification, chapter 13 in the Westminster Confession, they, who are once effectually called and regenerated, believers, justified, having a new heart and a new spirit created in them, are further sanctified, really and personally, through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection, which is the gospel, by his word, and by his spirit dwelling in them, the dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed. And the several lusts thereof are more and more weakened and mortified or brought to death. Did you realize that there are several lusts that are part of our human condition? And those need to be weakened and brought to death. And these more and more Uh, are quickened and strengthened in all saving graces to the practice of true holiness. Sanctification is that we would be moving toward the practice of true holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. The next part says, this sanctification is throughout and in the whole person, yet imperfect in this life. That's an important one for some of us. Sanctification is not perfected in this life. 
even though there are some of us who feel like we are 99.9999999 times. Sorry, Ferris Bueller. Not we. Some of us, and if you're offended right now, it's you. Um, you you think you're so close, okay? And then there are others of us who are very discouraged, maybe in our Christian life, and you may be further along than you think. But it happens in the whole person, imperfect in this life. There will be abiding remnants of corruption in every part. And the confession, at least in this language, the next word is, whence ariseth a continual and irreconcilable war, the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, in which war, although the remaining corruption for a time may much prevail, yet through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate, the believer, doth, also in the Westminster Confession, the doth is important because we doth overcome. We will. And so the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I just have to say, there are moments where I wonder if I'm a pastor. There are moments where I wonder if I know theology or care about it, or if I even have a PhD in theology at all. Then I read the confession, I'm like, I really like this. It's so great. There's so many helpful things here. I'm so grateful that the Westminster Confession exists. Now, there are scripture proofs for all of this, but it's so encouraging. If you break down every phrase, so much excitement. Then there's just the simple answer um, in the catechism. What is sanctification? Sanctification is a work of God's free grace, whereby they whom God has before the foundation of the world, wow, chosen to be holy, are in time through the powerful operation of his spirit, applying the death and the resurrection of Christ unto them, the gospel, renewed in their whole person after the image of God, having the seeds of repentance unto life, and all other saving graces put into their hearts, and those graces so stirred up, increased and strengthened, as that they more and more die unto sin and rise unto newness of life. That's the um, longer catechism on what is sanctification. So sanctification, I'll summarize it for myself. Sanctification means that our lives are being transformed and changed by the gospel. Now, how that looks for every person, right? Being transformed by the gospel in our whole persons, personally and really, I think it's going to look somewhat different for everyone. You're like, really? I, I think so. I mean, obviously, we have the law of God, the word of God. We have these standards, yes. But in general, as... I am being transformed. That transformation process of sanctification in my life, this irreconcilable war, it's going to look different in my life than it is yours. Isn't that hard to hear that because we think our war is the exact same war as everyone else, everyone's sanctification is the same. So when we get together in church, we're like, hey, why aren't you here? I'm here in our holiness. Why are you not, right? We want to judge everybody where we are in our sanctification process. Am I wrong? 
I mean, maybe we don't do it outwardly, but we secretly. Why aren't they, why are they, what, right? But it is a transformation that takes place by the Spirit, by the Word, via the gospel of Christ, His death and resurrection. It's a work of God's grace. So all of this transformation and change. Um, so I, I coach at a gym. Yeah, we know that. If you've been here for five minutes, you know this. And um, so I'm coaching at a gym. I coach CrossFit. And um, I'm soon going to be selling. I'm going to be selling solar. So not only CrossFit, solar, and then I'm just going to become a vegan and make it a trifecta of just horridness for everyone to be around me. Um, but one of the things that we sell at the gym is a 90-day transformation to people when they come in. And you're like, wow, you guys are evil. I mean, I people come in and they're like, I want. People will say to um, the owner of our gym, I've heard it. I've heard people say, I want change. I, why are you here? I want change in my life. People say that is a direct quote of most people that walk into our gym. I want change. And often it's like, well, it's probably going to mean some early mornings. It's probably going to mean some soreness. It's probably going to mean that your nutrition changes. It's probably going to mean, it's probably going to mean, and if you really stack things up, it's probably going to mean change and change is suffering. Change is hard. Sanctification, change, transformation by the gospel. It's not intuitive to us and it, it's hard. It's sore. It's early mornings, whatever that means to you. Some of you are like, well, it doesn't, it's, it's the things that are hard. You know, it, when it comes to sanctification and God's people transforming and us as individual believers being sanctified by the gospel, you know, there are some people who come into the Christian faith with already great behavior, with already, and maybe they grew up in a Christian home, and that doesn't always mean they have great behavior, um, doesn't. But there are people who actually come to Christ, already pretty good people, human beings. Those are, those are tough people, because they, they might think they don't have that far to go. We all have far to go. We all have transformations and things that are going to be hard. So how can sanctification even be part of a blessing? Like, to me, when I start thinking, if I had a discussion, a conversation with you like I'm trying to have right now about sanctification, I start getting upset. <laughs> I start getting like, I have so far to go. Um, I'm reading the confession. I'm like, wow, that's a lot. I mean, breaking every free, but it, and yet it's a promise. God's going to do this work. And yet it feels so hard. Look, if it doesn't feel so hard, you're welcome. That's what I'm here to help you. It actually is a hard process because the gospel of what Christ has done for us is so non-intuitive to most of, I mean, I would say all of us, our hearts aren't intuitive to the gospel. So how can sanctification be a blessing? According to Paul, he says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. We as believers in this sanctification process of change, early mornings and sore muscles and changing things that we've done our whole lives, we get Christ himself helping us. We get the Lord Christ 
in all his power by the Spirit. We get him, says Paul. And the God of peace himself, the one who shows up in John 20 and says, hey guys, peace be with you. I'm with you. The risen Christ. If you're going through a really uh, a major change in your life, who do you want with you during that change? There are definitely people you don't want, right? They're the ones who are going to, well, they're not going to encourage you, maybe, perhaps. I'm going to tell you this. You, as a believer, must be sanctified. It will happen. And really, when it comes down to it, the only one you want with you is Christ himself. And that is promised to you. Now, the church is an add-on bonus. The church, other believers, fellow believers in the sanctification journey of faith. But Christ himself is who you've got. He's your personal trainer. And he's good. He knows when to tell you to hit the decks with some more burpees. You know, he knows exactly what you need. At the right moment, Christ knows what you need. So what a blessing to be sanctified by the one who holds, who embodies peace himself and is the essence of faithfulness. Verse 24, he who calls you is faithful. Do you feel like your sanctification is up to your faithfulness? Well, let me just say, if you walk out of Indelible Grace Church today feeling like your sanctification is up to you, I have failed you today. Your sanctification is utterly up to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is faithful and, according to Scripture, will surely do it. So, be encouraged, brothers and sisters. The Lord is going to get you there. You will be transformed by the gospel. He will get you there. One way or another, he'll get you there. He is faithful and will do it. You're like, Tom, I mean, it's Christ is going to do it. I don't need to do anything. Right. No, of course. Of course, because of the gospel, because of the Holy Spirit, because of the peace that we have, because we have Jesus himself, we're made capable of doing, well, all the common things. What are the common... So, virtuosity. What is virtuosity? Becoming virtuous. Becoming um, a virtuous person. Becoming a sanctified person. What is it? Virtuosity, for even the believers, as, as believers being sanctified, is simply doing common things uncommonly well. And some of the common things that we get to do as believers, common, you're doing it right now. You're, you're sitting in church with other believers and we're worshiping God together. We're huddling around a text and we're saying, Lord, change me. Show me the gospel. Show me yourself. It's a really common thing. Believers have been doing it for centuries. Gathering together, celebrating communion, which we'll do in a few minutes. Sitting with scripture, singing songs of praise, praying together as Sammy led us. Right? Very common. I'll say this as a pastor who's leaving. Um, (laughs) 
there are lots of Christians in the church today who won't, won't even co- do the common thing of showing up to church. That, that's a common, that's like sanctification 101. Like, just come to church. Sorry. You're like, Tom, I'm sitting here today. Yeah. As a pastor who was paid to be at my church for, you know, nine years in paradise, yeah, I'm telling, I'm telling tales out of school now. I mean, there were definitely core people in the church who were coming once every six weeks. Not doing a common thing, just showing up to worship with God's people. It's a common thing. Partaking of the sacraments, worshiping God with God's people. Tom, you're making me feel bad. Sorry. Just having fellowship with other believers so we could be encouraged. Loving others. Um, if you are struggling in your Christian life in any way, in this sanctification transformation process, go serve a meal uh, with Mercy Ministries in our church. Go down to the Presbyterian Church and serve meals to those who are in need. I promise you, you'll, do, you'll, you'll be doing better. Not because you're making yourself feel better, but just loving and serving other people will make you feel better. And it's part of the gospel that we love God with all our hearts and mind and strength and our neighbors as ourselves. It's a common thing. Like, worshiping with God's people, loving others, sitting around scripture. Discipleship is, um, it's discipleship, really. I know that the first time I talked with David, um, who was up here earlier, David Yee, he talked about discipleship probably in our first conversation, our first half hour. David was talking about discipleship and how important it is for us to be in each other's lives so that we see the sanctification of God happening in real time in our lives. So just be encouraged, brothers and sisters, that the Lord Christ himself is with you and he will continue to put the very common things in front of us so that we, by his grace, together might do them uncommonly well to become all that he wants us to be. So I just want to close with this. Um, Thinking about sanctification and growing and being transformed um, by the gospel, I, I was thinking, who in Scripture really kind of shows this happening? And I, I, um, I mean, I mentioned Peter last week um, as an example of some of the things not to do. <laughs> Peter was an example for that. But I was thinking of someone like, like Ruth. You see, uh, and you're like, how is she transformed by the gospel? Well, I mean, that's another sermon. But you really see a transformation in this woman who, when we meet Ruth, she is, she's a widow in the ancient world, and she's a woman. Well, that's a widow. But she's a, a widow in the ancient world. And already that means um, so many terrible things. Poverty, just hard. So we meet Ruth at the very lowest point of her life. She's uh, then goes back with her mother-in-law as a foreigner. And she has to do terribly menial things. She puts herself in these places where she could have been harmed. All these things, trusting the God of Israel. At the end of what we see of her life, 
She is in the line of Jesus Christ. Her children make it into the line, the lineage of Christ. She is, she marries one of the most prominent men in the culture, Boaz. I mean, you see this transformation of this woman and you can't look at her and go, well, that was all her doing. She did common things uncommonly well. She listened to her mother-in-law. She did what was right in the culture she was in. She was faithful to her mother-in-law. She did all these very common things. And God was faithful. And he surely did it in her life. Would you pray with me? Father, the blessing of sanctification, Lord God, would you bless each one of us and this body. Make us more and more like you, Jesus. That we would reflect you. Going glory to glory, Lord. We know it's not going to be easy, but we know we have you every step of the way. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.